as a first year teacher, you're thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not sure like if I'm doing these plans right or these activities right or really what I'm doing in the classroom. And then after my first teaching year and second and kept going, now I'm looking back at some of the things I did being like, those were great lessons. Those were great activities. Like those students learned so much and they progressed so much. Hello and welcome to School Me, the National Education Association's podcast dedicated to helping educators thrive in the early stages of their career. I'm your host, Natika Samuels. Today I'm joined by Angela Dolan, an Ohio educator for deaf students who specializes in auditory training, to discuss the effects, both positive and negative, of the pandemic and remote learning on special education students and their families, and the benefits of getting involved in your union early in your career. Thanks for joining me, Angela. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start off with some basics. Let's hear a little bit about you, where you're teaching right now, how long you've been teaching, and and what's been going on in your world lately. So I'm a teacher in Ohio. I work for Columbus City Schools, which is the biggest district in our state. We have 109 schools in our district. It's my eighth year of teaching, so we have two more weeks left of school before I finish my eighth year of teaching. And I'm a deaf education teacher, so I'm actually certified to teach preschool through 12th grade with students with hearing loss. So my first five years, I was in the classroom, and these last three years, I've been an itinerant. So I travel and I work one-on-one with students with hearing loss in their classrooms and in their specific schools. Great. And why did you decide to become a teacher? Like, what inspired that choice? I've always loved kids and learning and stuff growing up. And then my church actually went on a mission trip to Columbus, which is where I'm at now. There's actually a retirement home here that serves people with hearing loss. They have people with hearing as well, but they predominantly focus on residents with hearing loss. And we had stayed there for a week. So we started to learn some sign language and get to know the residents a little better. And At that time, I was only like 15 years old, so I wasn't really sure what you could really do with sign language and all the opportunities it had. And I went back to my job, which was at Handel's Ice Cream since I was just a kid. And a deaf woman had come up with her hearing son, and she was signing to him what she wanted. And he was then voicing to me what his mom wanted. And I knew enough of the basics to sign back to her about which different flavors we had and what she was asking. And her face just lit up like she was able to communicate with another adult and not have to use her son to talk to somebody. In that moment, then I was like, okay, it's deaf education. I didn't know where I wanted to go into education, but that kind of solidified the specific area I wanted to focus on. That's a cool experience. Like just having that sort of moment of clarity. (laughs) A lot of people, a lot of people, I feel like in teaching get that at some point. Did you have any mentors along the way who sort of steered you toward your current career or did you sort of forge your own path? At first, when I was thinking like, oh, I wanted to go into something sign language, I wasn't sure exactly what because there is there's ASL, there's interpreting, there's deaf ed, there's a lot of different options. And my youth leader was really the one that kind of steered me in the direction of going into education and using that new skill I had just learned and loved. And then also just teachers I've met along the way in the profession that have wanted me to keep learning and keep growing and keep working in the field. And do you specialize in anything in particular with your students or are you teaching them just general topics? It really depends on the students I'm working with. Some of the students are general ed mainstream students that I 
just work on reading, writing, and math to kind of help them stay up with their same age peers. Some students I have are in multiple disability classrooms or other health impairment classrooms that I work on what's called like auditory training with them is understanding their hearing understanding like how to utilize their hearing aids, helping their teachers with their hearing aids or their cochlear implants or where to sit in the classroom, what visuals they can use in the classroom. So when a lot of people think about deaf education, if they're not familiar, I think they immediately think about sign language and and just learning how to communicate through sign language. But you mentioned auditory training. So your students generally have either hearing aids or cochlear implants, right? Can you talk a little bit more about what auditory training entails? I really work with a variety of students and it's really up to their parents if they want to have hearing aids or cochlear implants or not have amplification at all. So I've worked with all types of students and all of them are wonderful. I've worked with voice off and sign with some students and then other students don't need the sign language and they are really focusing on their hearing. So really a curriculum that we focus on has three different areas that sound awareness, phonetic listening and auditory comprehension. And that sound awareness, thinking about when you're growing up, you're hearing a fire truck go by and your mom saying, oh, listen to those sirens. A fire truck just went by. Oh, that was an ambulance. But if you grow up, having a hearing loss and you might not know you have a hearing loss or don't have that amplification yet, they're not learning all that incidental learning, hearing dogs barking, hearing the neighbor mowing their lawn. So kind of teaching those different skills to students. So I'll do a lot of visuals where I'll have pictures of dogs and cats and lawnmowers and fire trucks and be playing those sounds and showing them those pictures so that they can start to identify when they're hearing that siren. That's not a dog barking, that's a fire truck going by. And then for some of my older students, the phonetic listening piece is really like discriminating from initial sounds. So if you're saying the word boo, as opposed to the word moo, for them starting to understand English, those two letters sound so similar, but they have really different meanings. It's really interesting. A lot of detail work. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's impossible to have a conversation, I feel, these days without talking about the pandemic and how it's affected your life and the way that you just do the things that you used to do so easily once. So how has the pandemic affected you as just a person and an educator, but also in the way that you've had to teach your students who have different needs than most hearing students do? Our school, since we're one of the biggest inner city schools, we shut down kind of when everyone else did in March of last year. And then this year, we started trying to do a hybrid model in February and March where our special ed students could choose to come back two days, four days, or stay online. So a lot of my students stayed remotely and a few came back. So most all of my students I've been Zooming with since last March through now. And since I do work with students one-on-one, I have preschool through high school. So my youngest is five and my oldest is 19. So that has been a real challenge of learning how to differentiate online. Since my 19 year old, we can do a lot more things online with her independently, as opposed to my five-year-old not being able to work a computer on his own or just the attention span of the computer or understanding that his teachers and friends are all in the computer and trying to also deal with background noise and parents working from home and siblings working from home. Usually for a deaf ed teacher, we want a quiet area and we have smaller numbers in our classroom since they do have hearing loss. So they are really focused on the teacher and not having all that background distraction. So that this year was definitely 
a challenge where I'm trying to work on a math skill and I can hear multiple people in the background, which is distracting to me as a hearing adult. I was like, I can't imagine for an elementary student with a hearing loss trying to block all of that out to focus on our math lesson. (laughs) So what are some of the ways that you've devised that have helped with maybe some of these issues? Some of them are probably unavoidable, but certainly people have been creative about what they've been doing in their classrooms virtually. At the beginning, I started joining in whole group sessions of the students that I have. So I got to see them with their teacher and with their friends interacting. So I was able to see are they looking at the screen? Are they paying attention to the teacher? Are they wearing their equipment? And kind of got a feel for that way before we started doing a lot of our one-on-one sessions, which was really great to see them kind of with their friends and building those relationships with them. And then also just encouraging them to either wear their hearing aids or cochlear implants, or if they didn't, finding a different way. I was adding in more visuals. I was doing more videos. I had students that weren't able to attend our sessions due to other things at home. So I would record lessons and I would post them in our Google Classroom. And it's hard sometimes as a teacher when you're doing all this work thinking, is it making a difference? Like, are these kids or parents even like watching these videos that I make every day? And one of the parents one day said, oh my goodness, we love your videos. We get on every morning before her class starts and we sit down and we watch your video to start our day. And it just made all of the difference. I don't know if the other eight students in that classroom are watching it, but to know that one mom and her daughter are sitting down every day to watch one of the lessons that I'm recording and putting online just made such a difference that I, even after the pandemic, I want to try to continue recording stuff, not realizing that that's really now like a family bonding time that they have together. And a lot of those activities, I would be incorporating sign language. So her mom was then able to learn the sign language with her, as opposed to the student just learning it at school, and then trying to teach mom when she goes home, they were able to learn that together, which I thought was a really cool thing that we really didn't have before this. Yeah, it seems very important to get that feedback and harder to get it when you're not just looking at people or just happening to run into them in the hallway or after school. So I'm glad that you were able to get that in some way and and that you're inspired to keep it going. You mentioned that you're an an itinerant teacher. That's the word, right? So you're an itinerant teacher. Can you explain a little bit about what that entails and how that changed your experience of the pandemic? We hear from a lot of teachers who mostly are in one classroom or in one school building, let's say, generally speaking, and you move around. So can you talk to us about what that experience is like? Yeah, when I uh, took the position as an itinerant teacher, it really just opened my eyes to how many other schools there are and teachers and students. And when you kind of have your classroom, you're in like this little bubble of your school and your classroom and everything. So when I took this position, I was traveling to middle schools and high schools and preschools and all of these different areas in our city and different types of students' classrooms. I was going into multiple disability classrooms, general education classrooms, emotionally disturbed classrooms, and seeing all of these different types of students, which was really great. And then when the pandemic happened, it was difficult because a lot of classroom teachers just kind of emailed out all of their students, but the students that I have, I'm not their main teacher. So they were getting emails from their main teacher. And then possibly a lot of the students I have are also in speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, and all of these. So we're all kind of bombarding these parents, emailing them about all of their services that we need to provide. So I 
at the beginning kind of felt like a little bit of an outsider, like, oh, I'm not their main person, but also what I do with them is important. So I need to be contacting. So I actually worked a lot with the teachers so that I started with joining in, like I'd said about their whole group classes and then kind of branched off then for our one-on-one classes, but kind of let the students figure out what they're doing online with their teachers while I was there to support them and then do individual since it is difficult that I have to schedule all of my students individually and see them as opposed to just logging on and teaching the whole class at one time. I had to work with the teachers when teachers were meeting with them, when therapists were meeting with them, and then, okay, with the parents, okay, what is another time in the day that you have a time where I can log on with your student? And now that we've started to go back to buildings, it has been difficult since I usually travel to multiple buildings in a day and our district only wants us to be in one building a day to limit our exposure so I can only go to one building per day so I've kind of had to rework my schedule around which building I would be at per day as opposed to sometimes I was at four buildings a day and it has worked out I've been doing it for a few months now and the teachers I work with are wonderful and so flexible like it's just been great being able to build relationships with teachers so that they are flexible then if I have to move days or move times. So I feel like this year, everyone has kind of learned about working together and flexibility and that we kind of like need each other and that we're really helping each other through that, which has been really neat to see. Yeah, you touched on it a bit, but what are some of the things like the lessons learned or the things you think we should keep sounds like there's a lot of stuff that you probably want to go back to normal, (laughs) a lot of scheduling issues that maybe you could avoid, but there's some light at the end of this, I think, and I'd be curious to hear what you want to keep from the last year or so. I've definitely built a lot of relationships with different teachers I've worked with, therapists I've worked with. I do a lot of co-therapy while we're online. So one of the days I do co-therapy with a speech therapist and occupational therapist, and it's kind of great to have all of our specialties in one area. So I'm supporting my student with sign language, and then the speech therapist is supporting with choice making and vocabulary, and the occupational therapist was focusing on reaching out for things and touching switches and all of that and kind of all working together. So I love when we get back in the buildings to kind of continue those relationships that we've formed with each other since we've helped each other in this like zoom world but to then continue that when we're back in the buildings and how i can support them with their students and also just the zoom piece i know myself included i'm ready to be off zoom and kind of put my computer away for quite a while but i do think it has been so beneficial for things like parent teacher conferences meetings with parents, because usually at our school, we have a few nights for parent-teacher conferences. And if you're a parent, you're like, okay, you have this three-hour window, you have to come to this school, and you have kids at home and activities and dinner and spouses and all of these things you're dealing with, but you're like, oh, I have to drop everything to drive to a school for 15 minutes and then drive home. So these Zoom meetings, I felt, have been so great for a parent to just be able to log on from their phone, log on from their computer. Sometimes they would do it on their lunch break or their dinner break at work, as opposed to having to take off work and drive to the school, find sitters, different things like that. So I'm hoping we can continue some of the Zoom aspect to be able to include parents more and keep them engaged without having to kind of drop everything at home and come to our school. So I really liked having the parents involved more where we could just pop on Zoom and talk real quick, which has been nice. I've heard that a lot, that relationship building has been really important. I would assume that the relationship building would actually be really 
useful for just the classroom experience as well. Can you explain some of the unique challenges or unique situations that students who are in special education classrooms or just your students as deaf students, some of the unique challenges that they faced in the pandemic and actually adjusting to online learning? I definitely think the kind of computers themselves is getting computers, getting computers with video, getting computers with sound that they were able to have. I work in the inner city, so a lot of our students didn't have access to computers, didn't have access to internet. Our school did a great job being able to get Chromebooks out to all of our students, and they also were able to pick up some hotspots so that parents could have internet at home for their students to work on the computer. But after kind of figuring out all the technological logistics, just being at home, and even if you do have steady internet, sometimes the internet goes out or sometimes it's choppy or lagging. And even for a hearing person, sometimes you're like, oh, what'd you say? Like it cut out. But for a student, especially a student with hearing loss, they're already so focused on watching the person's mouth, watching their facial expressions, trying to hear clearly what they're saying. So if the student was working with a teacher or just talking to their friends that don't have great internet, it was hard to have them follow along and really just that background noise at home. So sometimes if they're in a classroom with 20 kids, they have all these little boxes that they're trying to watch their friends, but then watch their teacher, listen to their teacher, and then hearing parents and siblings and stuff in the background, just all of that noise and trying to really focus their energy on the screen and students that were signing. Sometimes if you have a bunch of people on a Zoom, your pictures get smaller and smaller. For them, they have to like look at the interpreter or look at the teacher or student that's signing. And if you have 10 people in that classroom, your box is much smaller or you have to pin it. So they've had to kind of learn to figure out like who's talking, how to make them bigger, how to focus on them so that they're watching the signs and facial expressions as opposed to a hearing person who is just listening in and could be doing something else during that time, a deaf student has to really be fully engaged and focused on that screen the whole time. So I'm sure a lot of exhaustion as well of, we think, oh, I've been on the computer all day, but really they are focused on that computer all day because they can't just look away and do something else or take notes. They have to be fully focused on that person that's talking or signing. Thanks for listening to School Me, and a quick thank you to all of the NEA members listening. If you're not an NEA member yet, visit nea.org slash whyjoin to learn more about member benefits. I wanted to talk about the schools that you go to. So do you teach in schools that are specifically for the deaf, or are they more the general public schools that just happen to have programs that support those students? Since I work for Columbus City Schools, it is just the public district. And but within that, we have a program called CHIP. It's called Columbus Hearing Impaired Program. And we service students preschool through 12th grade. So we have different schools. So we have classrooms for students that are either total communication, which is the teacher assigning and voicing at the same time. Or we have oral classrooms where the students are just voicing and not utilizing sign language. But we have those buildings where students can be in self-contained classrooms and also inclusion or mainstreaming within our buildings. And the thing I love about Columbus City is it's so diverse in all of the opportunities and options students have. So if the students aren't in one of those specific buildings, like a lot of the students that I serve, 
they're in their own buildings where I can go travel to them. So some students are fully mainstreamed with an interpreter and they're in a different school where they don't need that pull out or that small group. They just need an interpreter to sign to them during the class or like me where I travel and sometimes I'm traveling to general education classrooms or special education classrooms where I can support those students inside the classroom or pull them one-on-one -on -one outside the classroom, which really just allows students to have so many different opportunities within our district, which I love. They can have a small group setting, a large group setting, as much or as little support as they need, which I think is so unique. And I really wish all districts would be able to provide deaf students with all of the services that we do. So how did you get involved with your union? The school that I'm at actually, our union rep is phenomenal. She was actually my mentor teacher my first year of teaching and really through now. And she is just such a wealth of knowledge. Like anytime I would ask her question about the union, she would have her book that was like highlighted and tabbed and really could just tell me anything I needed to know or find out those answers. And I just loved the support and the advocacy they had for us and being able just to have a voice and have a say and a vote and the things that were important to us and important to our district and important to our students and just always putting students needs first. I love like the group Ohio's new educators that I'm in because we are, I'm learning so much at my level. I really wish I would have known about it when I was an earlier teacher because now I'm in my eighth year and they support teachers years zero to 10. And I'm like, man, I really wish I would have had this early on in education to know there is this support group. So we're really trying to get that word out to new teachers because I know I would have loved to have that early on. A lot of times early on in teaching, a lot of teachers aren't I feel really involved in the union because they're thinking like, oh, that's something like down the road or that's just something that deals with our contracts. But being able to learn so much more, especially during this pandemic, what our union has done for us and how they have fought for student safety. They fought for staff safety and making sure that our schools had what they needed. Our teachers had what they needed. Our students had what they needed. And just seeing the support from them this year has been incredible. And I've just been so lucky to be a part of a union this year. And I can't imagine I'm friends with a teacher that's not in a union and her year has been horrible. The things that they've like put her through and made her do and positions that she's done. And just none of that would happen if you had a union. So I just feel so bad that she has been struggling so much this year because she doesn't have that support of a union to fight against what um, administration is doing to teachers in that area, as opposed to us that I always just feel very supported by them. That's like the ultimate ad for, <laughs> for, <laughs> for NEA and for the union. I like it. This might actually cover some of the stuff you were just talking about, but I'll just ask it in a different way. How has unionism changed the way that you look at your career or the way that you do your job every day? I love that our union supports our students and our population. Since I do work in an inner city district, I've learned so much from our union that support Black Lives Matter, they support LGBT lives. And I am just so blessed to work for a district that outwardly supports those things. And I'm not working in somewhere that, oh, you can support that on your own, but we're not going to like say that or talk about that in school or talk about that in the workplace. So I wasn't sure if I'd ever like wanted to stay in my district forever. And that has really held me to wanting to stay, to know that 
I'm in a district that supports those passions that I have and that the students we have, I mean, they all students are represented in our district. And I know that our union outwardly supports all of those needs of those students. So it's just a very welcoming and union and environment to be a part of. What or who is bringing you inspiration right now? Like as a teacher aspect, really the group Ohio's New Educators has just brought me a lot of inspiration of seeing teachers within their first 10 years just be so passionate about different policies that are happening and things that are happening in education. I was never really involved in like the policy and politics and the House bills and the Senate and all of these educational things that were going on seemed very overwhelming to me. So to see people my age that were giving testimonies or writing letters or calling their senators, it was like, oh, wow, this is this is for us. This is for teachers that want to make a difference for our schools and our students. And that's just been really eye-opening to see and has made me want to learn more and want to advocate more for my students where I'm not just teaching there during the day and then, oh, my work day's over. Like, no, this is their lives and what they need, the support and everything our schools need. So just seeing other educators around me learning and advocating for those things has really just helped me want to learn more myself. So during this pandemic, I've just read a lot more. Like I was never a big, like avid reader. So I've read a lot more books this summer and different articles and things that have kind of just tried to educate myself on these areas. And what is something that your students have taught you recently or in the last year? I think just a lot of flexibility really in teaching. I'm a very type A, like organized, planned type of person. And really in teaching, you have to be so flexible because a lesson might be much shorter than you thought or much longer than you thought, or especially during the pandemic, a student might, something might be going wrong with their internet or something might be going on at home. And like one of my students joined one of my sessions and she had just gotten in trouble for something she was doing at home that she wasn't supposed to be doing. So she came to class and she was really upset and she was crying. And I had this like whole math lesson planned out. And I was like, when you're upset and when you're crying, you don't want to like, oh, let's just do math. So I just started talking to her. Hey, how are you doing? What did you do this weekend? And just trying to build her up and focus on that social emotional level. Because if we're not focusing on how a student is as a whole, how do we expect them to do math and reading and writing? So really just the beginning part of our session was dealing with how she was feeling and what she was going through, which then led into her feeling good enough to do our math lesson. So just really meeting students where they're at. I know a lot of times we think we have to get this math done or we have to get this reading done, but if we're not focusing on the child and their feelings, then we're not gonna be able to get to the math or reading anyways. And I'm sure that this year has been the ultimate test of that. (laughs) What would you tell your younger self as a first starting out educator, knowing everything that you know now? I would say just be confident in yourself and what you're doing. I know as a first year teacher, you're thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not sure like if I'm doing these plans right or these activities right, or really what I'm doing in the classroom. And then after my first teaching year and second and kept going, now I'm looking back at some of the things I did being like, those were great lessons. Those were great activities. Like those students learned so much and they progress so much. But when you're in the moment thinking, I don't know what I'm doing and you're panicked about paperwork or panicked about 
specific lesson planning and all of these things to just be able to know like I was great at what I was doing and you don't really know that sometimes in the moment until you're out of it and now that I'm traveling I'm realizing like I was really great in the classroom I did so many wonderful things with students but when you're right there doing it you're kind of mixed up with all of the other things that are happening around you to really focus on what you're actually good at. Well, I think you deserve your retroactive pat on the back there. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today, Angela. It was great to talk Thank to you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of School Me. And if you find this podcast helpful, be sure to rate and review the show. It helps more people find us and the advice they need to survive their first few years in education. For even more tips and resources, you can visit us at neatoday.org slash school dash me.